Hi, you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Ellen Buchan, Communications and Insights Assistant at Amber. Last month, I spoke to Gaia, who works in learning and capacity development at the World Health Organization. I wanted to ask her about the new WHO Academy and their public call for ideas they've just carried out. I also wanted to learn about how to develop training during a pandemic. Here's that interview. Can you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your career, please? My name is Gaia Gamhevake. I'm a medical doctor by training, but I've been very fortunate throughout my career to learn different things and do different things. I have a master's in international policy making and negotiation, as well as a master's in international health. Um, I was for a short time a journalist in my past as well. So all of these things have come together to give me a very uh, 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 unique, if you like, career. I started off as a, as a journalist, then I worked as a medical doctor um, in China and in Sri Lanka. I've worked for, this, for Save the Children, I've worked for NGOs. And in 2001, I joined uh, the World Health Organization and I joined as a, a training officer to, to help build capacity in health emergencies. Um, during my last 19 years at WHO, I, already, I also did a stint as a head of corporate communications for WHO. And for the last six, seven years, I rejoined the health emergencies program. I'm, I'm very uh, happy to work in emergencies. And currently, I am the head of learning and capacity building for WHO's work in health emergencies uh, at the global level, at the regional level, and also I support people at the country level. Amazing. So I was hoping to ask you some questions about the WHO Academy. Can you tell me a little bit more about this and the impact you're hoping it will have? So Ellen, this idea um, is an idea of our Director General, Dr. Tedros, and he really uh, has many initiatives to transform our organization, um, not just to make us more efficient, but really looking at the future. And the idea of an academy was raised to him by a staff member. He has open, uh, he has an open door policy. So on Thursday, staff members can go and talk to him. And one staff member said, why don't we have an academy? And he thought about it. And we dug into this a little bit more. We realized we are all doing trainings across the organization. We're doing thousands of trainings, but we felt that there wasn't enough coherence in what we were doing. And we wanted to be more impactful. And we wanted to really look at the role of training and learning in achieving global public health goals, not just today, but going forward into the future. WHO has a triple billion goal where we hope to um, uh, provide, you know, make sure a, a three billion people, B with a B, uh, a benefit from our health programs. But also there's the sustainable development goals and goal three is on health. And the sad truth is that 95% of countries are expected not to meet 11 targets of, of the Sustainable Development Goal 3 on health. So the whole idea of the academy is to bring together all our training our efforts, improve it by really making sure learning science is integrated, but also to harness the, the fruits, if you like, of the fourth industrial revolution. We know there's massive, massive progress in um, information technology, digital technology, virtual reality, augmented reality. So we want to bring all of this together and have an academy that is open for any health worker in the world and for all our 7,000 staff. 
the plans are, are moving forward. And one of the first partners of this project is the government of France. And uh, President Macron of France has already committed uh, 100 million euros to this project. And he has committed to building the main campus in Lyon, France. And what we hope to do is to work with others and to establish uh, uh, different centers, folks in different regions. And in the next couple of years, we hope to be able to scale up training uh, online, face-to-face and blended for health workers worldwide and for our staff. That's incredible. I was really interested to see that you put out a global call for ideas to ask anyone with an interest in health and training to contribute their ideas to this strategy. And I was just wondering how why, or why you opened this up to the public and how many responses you got and if they were useful and how much you're going to use of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a great idea, you know. So, so the whole point of this academy isn't just business as usual. We're not trying to build a university. We're really trying to see, try to define. And this is what the strategy is about, and I'm in charge of developing this strategy. Is uh, The question we ask ourselves and everybody is, what is the contribution of learning, training, education for the future of public health? So in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And one of the things uh, that I was really passionate about was to make sure we got the best and the most even crazy ideas, because I think this has to be an academy that serves people. And what better way to serve people than to ask them, what is their vision? What do they see as how will the world be? How will their learning needs be? How would you like to learn? So when we've done a lot of literature research, we've looked at what's out there published, we have fantastic experts from different sectors working with us, but we still felt something was missing. We had to ask the public. And we've got, I think, uh, more, I think 2,300 answers so far. And uh, they've been amazing. There's been, uh, in the initial analysis, which I've just looked at and we haven't finished yet because the survey is still open, some, there are some really uh, big ideas that are converging. We can see there are commonalities rising to the surface, but we can also see this, uh, you know, what we call the black swan ideas, the ideas that you wouldn't normally think about when you talk to experts or when you do things by committee. So the whole point of this academy is to be innovative. And how are we going to use this? Absolutely, we, we are going to be, we are treating this like a qualitative research. So we actually have a group of experts for helping us with this and some professors who are on our um, advisory group are working with us and we're going to analyze this and this is going to be integrated and input into the strategy. So I'm really, uh, uh, I think if the, the bigger the risk we take, the, the, the broader the consultation, uh, the better the strategy is going to be more realistic, more relevant and, and more implementable. So we take it very seriously, you know, it's called the big idea. What is your big idea? one sentence, and please feel free to expand it up to 500 words. So we're not forming structures. We really want to get the ideas that people have, however out there. I love the idea of going to the public and asking for ideas because you will get better and out-of-the-box thoughts. I was going to ask you about training. You do training on a global scale, and I was just wondering how you... And make it so that they adapt it to the content and delivery so it's accessible to all? So, um, Elena, you know, I've been in emergencies for a long time. I mean, it's 20 years here, but even before that, I worked in emergencies. And emergencies are really um, 
uh, wonderful places where you can learn because everything you do is so urgent and you, you can see problems that you wouldn't otherwise see. So I think I've learned a lot working in emergencies and therefore we shaped our learning training based on that. And I'm very fortunate to have around me a great group of people who really have the value of equity and access. So what are we doing currently with our digital learning? We have the uh, openwho.org platform and we are going to celebrate, I think in the next few days, 4 million uh, user registrations for 13 COVID courses in 33 languages. So what are the things that we do? First, we remove the barrier of cost. All our courses on openwho.org, they're free. Second, we looked at learning science. So we know some people like to learn uh, from videos. Other people want to learn from audio. Other people want to read. So we have these multiple formats so people can choose from that. So based on their learning preference. Then we know digital, the digital divide. We know people are uh, find it inaccessible if they don't have a broad, uh, you know, the, the bandwidth. So what we do is we have uh, normal resolution. We have low bandwidth. Uh, you can pick the low bandwidth choice for you. Or if you are not going to have internet, you have to download it on the app where you have internet, and then you can take it to the field. And then the last thing, which is very important, we've done, and this is based on research, there's a lot of evidence, People can uptake and absorb information when it's in their native language. And that's why my team is really, really committed to translating into native languages. So, for example, I think we have eight or nine African languages. On top of French and English and Portuguese, which are national languages, we have other languages, uh, eight African languages that is spoken by 380 million people. So access is given in the form of national languages, in terms of technology access, in terms of removing the cost barrier and taking in account, into account how people prefer to learn. And of course, we, we're going to have to keep improving this, but currently these are the values that drive us. So you mentioned a little bit about COVID there, and I'm afraid I wouldn't be a 2020 podcast without talking a little bit more about it. But I was wondering how your role and um, job has kind of changed in response to COVID-19. Well, since I've worked in emergencies for a long time, I was around even during the, um, the last pandemic. Um, in the emergencies program, we find it much more adapt, you know, easy to adapt to work in emergencies, but I know everybody else is struggling. The big change that we've seen in training, uh, which, which is what I'm leading, is we've had to go 100% or almost 100% online. It's, it's not 100%. In Africa, we have sent people on humanitarian flights to countries where their capacity is very challenged, particularly for clinical management. But it's mainly... Um, mainly online. And because we had the platform set up, uh, we set it up in 2017-18 after the uh, big Ebola outbreak in West Africa, because that's when I realized the scale of this. During that outbreak, I was asked to train 180,000 people in six weeks. And I really understood the scale of this. So we set up the platform. So we had a platform, but we massively scaled up what we did. So since the 29th of January, when we launched the first COVID course, until now, we've uh, we've actually launched 105 courses, and that's because of the language versions. Um, so my team uh, is about 20, 22 people, and we're in 15 locations around the world, and they have adapted. They've been like, you know, uh, they've really adapted to digital work. And in fact, I would say we are more productive today. Now, the next challenge is 
we used to do face-to-face workshops and we used to do simulation exercises that ran for 48 hours and we used to do competency-based assessments. Now we're in the process over the summer of doing that online in virtual instructor-led courses. Uh, This is much harder. I, I totally agree. But I think it's up to us to raise our ability to the to the level it's required. So we are very committed to doing this. Um, I think people have many people who didn't like digital learning are, be, are beginning to uh, understand that they have to do it. Uh, we are also going to do some basic training on how to learn online. I think it's a challenge, especially for older people like me. And lots of people uh, who lead emergencies are older. They're all over 50. So we're from a different generation. So we're really looking at the anthropology of it, the sociology of it, the cultural aspects of it, the language aspects of it. We, we are trying to understand our users as human beings with all of these complexities around them. But I'm I'm confident we will make progress. Um, I think it's very difficult to plan for face-to-face courses for a long, long time yet. And I think we should use this opportunity to really refine and make our digital courses very interactive and useful uh, to the point where we can do competency-based learning and competency-based assessment. You mentioned a little bit about the Ebola pandemic and your role in it but I was just wanting to know if and how being involved in the training for that um, informed your response to the COVID-19. Well I think it was a great great experience in that uh, I mean for several years the best minds in the world were struggling to get this under control. Those countries were really struggling. And and being there, I was the the international coordinator for training and, and, uh, you know, with partners like MSF, with UNICEF. We realized no one agency could do this together. We had to come together. We realized that whether it's an intervention or training in just one area, for example, uh, social mobilization or clinical management, this wasn't enough. We had to do everything together. And I think the lessons learned uh, from uh, Ebola West Africa was the one that we formed our program. Our health emergencies program was expanded and created in this way to work in a more agile way, so absolutely programmatically. Uh, Everybody will know WHO was criticized, and WHO will always be criticized because we are the World Health Organization and it is up to us to take this criticism and the lessons we learn to continuously improve. So we changed our program, we changed the way we work and it was only after that we established for the first time a dedicated training strategy and training unit headed by me. So absolutely everything has changed. And the platform I set up actually was even beyond uh, Ebola West Africa. It was from the the pandemic influenza H1N1 where we saw we would need to train and communicate with millions of people, the scale. So the scale for what we're doing now, I learned from the pandemic, the complexity of what we need to do and the partnership and collaboration I learned from West Africa. But also since West Africa, there's been a, there was a very complicated, too complicated Ebola outbreaks in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where we had about 700 people on the ground. And that's where we started uh, practicing the local languages. So when the first outbreak hit of Ebola recently in Democratic Republic of Congo, it took many hours for the for the experts to get to those regions. But we had learning content in Lingala, which was the local language there before the assessment team came. So we really, really learned from every every uh, outbreak, and that's why I think the academy is such a good idea because the academy will help institutionalize this and turn us 
into a learning organization where not just the emergencies program, but all of the, in the entirety of what we do, we will have a system to do, learn, feedback, learn from each other, learn from people who have experience. So I'm very excited. I think, you know, the COVID-19 is, is a terrible, terrible uh, challenge for the world. I think it's up to us during these challenging times to learn what we can and implement it very quickly. I feel as a civilian, the information about COVID-19 is just always changing. And I was wondering how you keep your courses up to date and and make sure that they have the most relevant and up-to-date information on them. So, Ellen, we have an incident management system, which is borrowed from the military to manage uh, crises. So most organizations use that for emergency response. And what this means is for COVID-19, there is a team. And for every area, there is a person in charge. So under health operations, uh, I'm, I'm delegated that, but I have a colleague of mine, Helen Kutunen, who sits with the response team. And we are listening to, we're looking at how the pandemic is evolving, what new information is coming, and, and, and then by definition, a new virus, we know nothing about it, so the information will evolve. So as you say, it's very important to be plugged into the response, not to have training outside, but with what we know, and with the technical experts, say for clinical management, for infection prevention control, what we do is we work with them to continuously update our our platform. So that's why even on the platform, nobody knows it, but the day you go in, it will be the most updated uh, version of the guidelines turned into training. I'm, I'm very lucky. Uh, the colleague I mentioned, Heini Utunan, she's, uh, she's amazing. She's also actually former military. Uh, she's worked with me since Ebola. And she really has a very good system of very talented young professionals who are, very, who's, who are constantly scanning all of this. But taking a step back, my organization, the chief scientist, we have a chief scientist who's in charge of updating the data and the, and the guidelines. You know, she will tell you on average, WHO is looking through 500 published studies a day and some days a thousand to make sure we have the latest information. So it's, it's a very big operation. And I think, as you said, as a civilian, it's difficult to understand, but there's a lot of work going on. But the incident management system allows us to come together to understand what's going on and then to be responsible for our area of work. And it, it's, it's done in military precision. So uh, uh, I think uh, it's the first time for a pandemic we've used the incident management system, and I really see the value of it. And just one last question. You've talked about having a team all over the world, and um, obviously we're now, well, most people are still working from home. How has it been to lead a team during what must have been a very stressful time and um, having to do that online as well? It was uh, March 13th. We were told we had to move, leave the office by 12 and be set up at home by 2. I still remember this. So I have never liked telework. I have to be honest. I I really, I'm very gregarious. I love to see my team and talk and brainstorm. So I thought, okay, here is my next learning challenge. Went home, found my, you know, my son's room. My son's gone away to university. He was stuck in Amsterdam. Um, and I set my office up. Uh, I set up the, you know, the LED lamp because I knew we had to do everything. We had to find the guidance. We had to turn it into training. We had to coordinate in 20, loca- 15 locations in the world. And I would ha- also have to do videos. And, you know, we, we, we approached it. We understood this was a very big challenge for the world. 
we were also afraid for our loved ones. I, I myself live with my elderly mother. So, you know, we were trying to take precautions. We were in lockdown. And uh, I drew I drew on the leadership um, competencies I have. I'm very lucky to have some very senior people who uh, are very good on my team. I, I split my team into COVID work and what I call learning futures and, and put two of my best people in charge of that. And we established a rhythm. So my senior team and I would have morning coffee on Zoom. I'm, I'm very grateful to Zoom. Morning coffee where we would talk about everything, about the pandemic, how we were doing, what was our agenda for the day. And then we would have a weekly meeting. And the weekly meeting of the whole team that I facilitated was focused primarily on finding out how people are and for us to network and socialize. So we didn't really do a lot of strategizing there. It was really to keep our connection. And that was my job. And then if I had announcements, I would make that. And then people would go into their own teams and smaller teams during the week. Uh, at the beginning, I was having seven, eight, nine Zoom meetings a day, and it was exhausting. Uh, but then soon I learned to, you know, tell all my team, you know, to keep hours, not to continue, you know, don't let... Um, work and life blend into each other to, to do all of this. Um, so no, I think my team really, really did well. And that's why they're performing better than ever. But I think it's also because we spend time to socialize. But I do agree with you. There are teams in WHO who really uh, have suffered because of this. And also, I, I, I think if you're at home and you have childcare, you have to supervise your ch child's homeschool. I think it's very different for them. So for my team, because I, I tend to have younger people as well, I try to make that, you know, make be flexible for that. But I myself, with grown up children, I was actually... Uh, I, I adapted quite quickly. Uh, people find being isolated a problem, and that's why the leadership in a team has to connect to people on a personal level. And, of course, I also am a coach. I'm a qualified coach. So I have uh, figured out when people are understressed and had a bilateral coaching call with them, uh, not a supervisory call, but a coaching call. Um, and I think uh, we've we've together managed. I think we've managed. In fact, some of my team said they'd, they'd really like to continue working like this because they're far more productive. But we will see how our policies change going forward. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been absolutely fascinating. I'm so excited to hear how the um, WHO Academy turns out. Thank you, Ellen. It's been lovely talking to you. And I, and I know your uh, membership, they work in many, uh, you know, wide variety of uh, organizations. And my message to them is, first of all, the, the pandemic globally is still accelerating. It's still accelerating, although in Europe we're seeing uh, much, uh, you know, lighter rates of infection. Uh, so I think we have to feel responsible, not just for ourselves and our situation, but really act responsibly towards other people. And how do we do that? We have to take note of all of the public health advice. So if you're asked to wear a mask on public transport, do that and wash your hands and physically distance and uh, don't try not to expose people who might be vulnerable like the elderly or people with underlying conditions. So one measure is not enough. So that's my second message to them. My third message is really use crisis. You know, the Chinese character for crisis has uh, two uh, two characters. One of them means danger and the other means opportunity. I really urge you, once you are safe, and you're sure you're keeping other people safe, just sit back and think, how can we use this as an opportunity on how we work 
where we work, how we manage other people, and really use this time as a as a as a growth time for everybody. So I wish all your membership all the best. I hope they stay safe. And my motto is: when you can't go on outside, go inside. Go inside your head and reflect, and see how we can come out from this better and stronger. Thank you so much, Ellen. Thank you so much. That was so inspiring. Thank you so much to Gaia for talking to Ambition Podcast today. It was so interesting to hear about how her role has changed during the COVID-19 pandemic and also about the Who Academy. If you'd like more thought leadership, visit www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition and make sure to listen out for the next Ambition Podcast.